0: everyone, happy March. Um, today I uh, happen to have a little break between patients and I figured I would do a little quick uh, episode um, while I have a little bit of time to talk about two things that I've read in the last week or so. Uh, the Midnight Library by Matt Haig and Nella Larson's Passing. And they seem disparate, but actually concepts of the lives we could live and the options and regret are themes that are pretty prominent in both of these works. Um, written over 100 years apart, so stay tuned. Okay, everyone, so um, a couple weeks ago, I had, um, I was looking around, I think Sundance um, Film Festival was going on virtually, and I saw that Tessa Thompson was um, you know, an actress pretty well known for um, being the Valkyrie in the Avenger movies, or at least the Thor movies, I think, um, amongst many other things that I've seen her in, like Sorry to Bother You and like, lots of indie favorites. Go watch Sylvie's Love on Amazon Prime if you haven't seen it. Um, at any rate, she had um, filmed a movie, I, I guess helped with making a movie, and starred in it with actress Ruth Negga um, called Passing which is based on a novella by Nella Larson, um, a black woman author who wrote this in the early, I think the 1920s. Um, It's a quick read, like a a little over, a little under 200 pages. Uh, The premise is a pair of um, friends who um, are from Chicago, from the black community, but they are fair skinned and depending on who sees them and how they're navigating space, they could be perceived as white. Um, one of them goes on to, to you know, stay very rooted in the black community. I'd say kind of the upper, upper class, the black upper class. Um, the other one has a more disjointed family life and so she ends up passing for white, marrying <clears throat> a white man, having a child with someone who has no idea that she's actually black and then their paths intersect again as adults. Um, And it ends up being incredibly complex. Um, The things that are given up to get to quote unquote more privilege, but what's lost. Um, There are a lot of twists and turns and so I don't want to ruin it. I just say go read it without really having a full understanding of what you're in for. It's really good and I look forward to watching the film when it comes out into more like you know mainstream distribution. On the other hand, we have Matt Haig's *The Midnight Library*. So like two weeks ago, I was very excited because our local um, bookstore, book people, was open for for actually like business. People could come in. You have to queue up and sanitize, and they only let so many people in at a time. But you were able to browse for half an hour, and I went a little crazy and bought a few books that. Um, well, some things I knew I was going in to get, and then just, you know, wandered around the uh, the stacks to see if something caught my eye, which something did. Uh, so he's an author that I have heard the name of but hadn't read anything by. Um, the premise of The Midnight Library is that uh, it's set in England. Um, there's a 35-year-old protagonist named Nora Seed who is miserable with her life. She has clinical depression. She has so many regrets of all the things that didn't go right. You know she could have been an Olympic swimmer. She could have been the lead singer and writer of a rock band with her brother and friend. Um, she could have been a, a, a glacier scientist in the Arctic um, thanks to her librarian slash mentor slash sensei Mrs. Elm, who you know was a place of kind of refuge for her as a young a young kid. Um, she could have moved to Australia to be with her best friend Izzy and learn about whales, like, so many things she could have done, and yet she's found herself working, you know, at this music instrument shop with a cat, single, and just, like, feeling like her life doesn't matter. Her parents are are dead. She doesn't get along with her brother. Um, She just feels like everything's meaningless, and on this, you know, trajectory she decides that she'd be better dead because what does her life mean and in between life and death there is a library and Nora wakes up and finds herself in this room that is limitless full of um, you know shelves of books and a librarian who looks just like Mrs. Elm and knows everything about her. And she's given the opportunity to live any host of, li- of lives that she could have possibly lived. So this like scientific idea of the multiverse comes into effect. And this idea of infinite choice that, you know, you have maybe um, one decision an either or. You pick one of those. And then those either ors get further and further apart as even more minuscule choices splinter off like branches on a tree to become even more limitless and even more infinite. And uh, and the big theme of this of this book is um, you must live your life to to know what's on the other side. Uh, there is a theme of regret. There's a huge book in the library called The Book of Regret. And every time Nora lives a life, um, she often comes face-to-face with a regret that she'd had that she then realizes maybe she shouldn't have anymore. And this idea of memory being uh, fickle and fragile, uh, a really cool idea of, like, what happens. You know, we've all had deja vu or, like, that kind of zone-out experience where we don't know why we went into a room. And they pose that this is a time when, like, yourself before death, you know, enters into the current universe you're in and therefore there's this gap of awareness and knowledge of why you're doing what you're doing in the life you're living right now. It's so beautifully uh, crafted, and um, one thing that I think I took away from it is that um, there is loss and pain in any life you choose, but there is beauty as well, and that it is the small things. It's not the huge trajectories in our life so much often that change the course it's the decision of do I get a turkey sandwich or a ham sandwich am I gonna turn left or right to go home today am I gonna stop by the grocery store or call that friend who crossed my mind am I gonna wear red shoes as opposed to black shoes those are actually the decisions that have huge ramifications in the future and um, I highly recommend it it's really great for for escape um, One other takeaway is that life has to be lived for oneself. You can't be living your life to please other people because you can't please everyone anyway, and then it leaves you not even knowing who you actually are and like what you want to do. And you're going to make mistakes, and that's okay because that's part of living. So I highly recommend the Midnight Library. So we are pretty much a year out from the pandemic, and I am getting ready to find myself where I was when I realized that Austin was, was, you know, shutting down, um, which was out in the desert in a couple weeks, which I'm pretty excited about. Actually, not a couple weeks, next week. Um, But to that end, speaking of the desert and temptation, seems to the two seem to go hand in hand, Um, I have a film recommendation for you before I go. Judas and the Black Messiah. It's on HBO Max. My brother and I watched it last night. Um, it is the telling of the betrayal of Fred Hampton by an FBI informant who infiltrated the Black Panther Party in Chicago um, during the 1960s. Fred Hampton was a magnetic, visionary young man. He was actually uh, killed in the sleep at the age of 21 um, during a—pretty um, much, I guess, they they just came in and shot up the whole apartment. I mean, they could have killed many other people that night. Don't even get me started on how disgusting America and American history is. It's a whole other can of worms. Um, but what I was struck by was how nothing is new. Uh, Fred Hampton was able to cross ethnic lines for the sake of a greater good. He would show up at um, you know meetings for poor whites, for poor Latinos, and then, of course, like gangs, black gangs in Chicago and was able to get them all on the same page of the police brutality we all are experiencing, the poverty we're all experiencing. They're using these other contrived structures to have us on opposite sides, when we ought to be on the same side, and if we unify, we can do anything. And J. Edgar Hoover, devil that he was, was on, you know, a witch hunt to destroy any black visionary, whether that was Malcolm X or Martin Luther King, um, Eldridge Cleaver, uh, you know, clearly Fred Hampton. He was an evil, evil man with uh, machinations to destroy the black community because of his own racism, white supremacy, uh, horribleness. Um, there's a scene in the movie where a younger FBI um, agent who has a conscience at the start that kind of gets snuffed out um, is asked, uh, you know, about his children and um, he's the one who hired the informant and they ask him, well, what? how's your daughter? You know, daughter's coming of age, almost a teenager. J. Edgar Hoover asks him, what will you do when she brings home a Negro? Which the white dude is like, I don't even know what you're talking about, like that's not going to happen. But also, why are you asking me about my daughter? And he's pushing up against this fear of our people, fear of the loss of our way of life, which is very familiar from the kind of drivel we've been hearing in times in the very recent past, and, um, and how that is all of a sudden justification and motivation for these evil diabolical acts towards other human beings who have children, who have families, who have value just because of the color of their skin, and just because they're fighting for what is equality? And let me tell you, if this sort of vitriol, if this sort of behavior was was you know um, was being done in Chicago, the brutality of the Chicago Police Department just because they could do it to these communities, I now understand why Chicago is the way it is today. And granted, it's only one side. There's more than one side, I'm sure, eye roll, side eye, Um, but it gives me a lot of context. And so uh, it'll get your blood pressure up. It's heavy, but it's very necessary. And this is someone we don't ever hear about, we don't ever know the name of, we don't ever see the picture of, and he is incredibly important. And he has a son who's alive today and has his name. So check out Judas and the Black Messiah. David Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield were excellent so, so good, and, I mean, I love Martin Sheen, and I hated him, so he also did a good job. Hope you all enjoyed my little quick episode today of the Petite Polymath. Once again, that's Brit Stone signing off. Have a good week.